HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live in Roberta's Pizzeria on Heritage Radio Network in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Joined as usual with Nastasha the Hammer Lopez, and uh, we got Jack over there, the engineer booth. Do we not? Yeah, we do. Is Wyatt there? I thought it was Wyatt. Wyatt's here. Good, Wyatt. How you doing? How you guys doing? Good. We're good. Yeah. So I have something for you, Nastasia. Mm. Uh, Wait, is this mine? Yeah. Oh, I signed it. Yeah. Everything. On the blue page. I'm handing her, for those of you that can't see because this is the radio. Oh, that's so nice. I'm handing her uh, her personal copy of uh, Liquid Intelligence, the new book, which is not officially out, but will be out soon. We're going we're gonna to do a signing tomorrow at, uh, or the day after tomorrow in Madison, because we're going to Madison, Wisconsin. You want to talk about what we're doing over there? Uh, fundraiser for MOFAD, and you're doing a lecture on food science. Doing a lecture on food science. Yep. Uh, and uh, we have another book signing at Star Chefs, which is next week. Can you believe it? In Can you Wisconsin, believe it? Right? No, Starships is here. Oh, You're, she's messing with somebody else. You pay no attention to Nastasha. Nastasha loves like the so inside no, joke that it's not funny for anyone. It's not, else. but I, you don't have to comment on it. It's I, just for you. Yeah, That's oh, all. just for me. Yeah. All right. So, by the way, uh, I don't know whether you guys know this, but I'm sure you do. Like uh, here at the radio show, Nastasia is uh, the hammer, right? Mm-hmm. But her official like job description is uh, she keeps the wheels on the bus. At Booker and Dax. Now, I was thinking about this, right? How is – because to me, that always implied that you were the bus driver, right? So then I was like, well, well how is it – The mechanic. Well, well, yeah, but I just assumed you were also driving it, which I was always wondering, like, how is it that you end up underneath the bus so often? And I think it's because the bus, uh, you know, is so rickety, the wheels are always falling off the dang bus, and you have to go yeah, underneath. I'm under you're, fixing you're it. under fixing yeah. it, and then as soon as <laughs> the you get the wheel on. Like, yeah, the jack flies out. Yeah, or, or they're just like, oh, wheel seems to be working now. Boom, boom, boom. Oh, what was that? Nah, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. Right? Yeah. And I'm, I just thought about that, yeah. like, you know, on the way over. I was like, that's how. That's how this stuff happens. Yeah. 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 All right. So listen, I'm going to tackle some of the questions from uh, last week, and then we'll get some of the questions from uh, this week. Uh, we, did, we didn't do liquid smoke, did we? I wasn't here last. I don't show. think we did liquid smoke. 
I don't think so either. Yeah. Brian wrote in about liquid smoke. Hey, y'all. Happy October. Because he said happy October, I had to get it now before it's not October anymore. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, next week, the, uh, the book signing is during the radio show. So we either have to, like, we either have to do a live uh, from Star Chefs and then, like, you know, pipe it in like beforehand maybe or, or postpone. It's up to you. We could probably get in there and do Star Chefs if you want to do it from Star Chefs. Man, it's too bad we couldn't do the book signing here. At the radio show. Well, uh, you, know, you could like answer questions and sign books at the same time. Yeah, I mean, Star Chefs is like, it's with Kitchen Arts and Letters, which as everybody who's been there knows is like the most awesome food bookstore like ever. Uh, and every year they have a booth at Star Chefs. And so they do book signings there. So I'm going to do in there. But you, have you guys ever gone to Star Chefs? Mm-hmm. I've actually never been. No, but I mean, has the radio show been there? I mean, not oh, our yeah, radio I mean, show, but yeah, I'm sure the a radio. bunch of our hosts have. Yeah, yeah. Next week, it, it's the uh, International Chess Conference, which is unfortunate that it's the same as ICC, which is International Culinary Center. Hmm. <laughs> always, always they some always, problem. Yeah. Always some problem. Always got to be some problem. <laughs> Brian writes, "Thanks for all your tips on helping me prevent another allergic reaction." Uh, you sure we didn't do this? Anyway, uh, shout out to Michael Nackin for underscoring the severity of allergies. So far, so good for me. I'm keeping my flour in the freezer. But I have another question. You did this. I you did, did this? this? Yeah. Yeah, you did the good week catch. before that. Yeah. About liquid smoke? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, for those of you that didn't listen to the last, I'll give you the five-second redux on liquid smoke. Liquid smoke is an actual honest-to-God uh, product. It's been around uh, a long time. There's a lot of places you can look up uh, on how to make your own liquid smoke. The problem with the liquid smoke that you buy in the stores, most of it is just like kind of monotonic and, and not that good. But it is derived from uh, real smoke, and they most of the time uh, re- remove a lot of the carcinogenic uh, stuff. So uh, are you sure? Yeah, I- I'm Right, because I remember that intro. Yeah, we think it's from like three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, did I talk about uh, salad nichoise? Yeah. But I discuss what my ideal salad no. nichoise is. But you know, the weird thing is, is like, so Stas, do you like salad nichoise? Mm-hmm. I, I do, I do. So, so when you think about it, like, what do you think of most? Like, what's the first thing you think of when you Tuna. think of it? Tuna. Tuna, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So, and if you go to the, uh, you know, Wikipedia which, you know, are they, have they got their money yet? Are you allowed to go in them without them pitching money? Or is it still always like, give us money, give us money? I think that's over. Okay. Uh, so if you go to the Wikipedia, uh, it says that a salad nichoise is composed of tomatoes, tuna, hard-boiled eggs, nichoise, duh, uh, uh, and anchovies dressed with a vinaigrette is served variously on a plate, platter, and a bowl with or without a bed of lettuce. The tuna may be cooked or canned. Uh, and then a bunch of other stuff. The salad may include raw red peppers. No. No, it may not. Raw red peppers? No. First of all, are the beans in there? Where are the beans? It needs beans. Anyway, may include uh, shallots and artichoke hearts. Uh, but according to many sources, excludes cooked vegetables except for green beans and potatoes, which I think have to be there. The boiled potatoes and the green beans yeah. have to be there. If it's not, like, what the hell? Like, first of all, you need the potato to go with the, with the anchovy and the tuna and the hard-boiled... Anyway, whatever. It needs the potato and the green beans. All that other stuff, artichoke hearts. Listen, I love artichoke hearts, but... Don't be putting the artichoke cart in the, in the niche sauce. But anyway, I figured, what the hell do I know? I just know what I like, right? I don't know, like, you know, like, it's an actual thing that you can go kind of try to figure out what it is. So I went to Escoffier, right? Escoffier. And then uh, Escoffier, interesting, I have all these pictures in my phone. Let's see whether I, I can get to them. I just literally, like, on the way over here, took pictures of the uh, recipes. So let's see what, uh, what my man uh, Escoffier wrote. Now, Escoffier says uh, that it is uh, equal quantities of string beans, potato dice, uh, and uh, something with tomatoes. Decorate. I can't see because it got cut off because I'm, an, I'm a jerk. Uh, oh, there it is. 
uh, and quartered tomatoes, which, I don't know, whatever. Decorate with capers, small pitted olives. Small pitted olives? What the hell kind of translation is small pitted olives? I mean, like, we're such brutes that we can't, like, get the actual kind of olive. Like, first of all, like, this was translated in the 70s, I think. This is a really old copy I have. So, like, you know, whatever. Like, you know, we were a different country back in the 70s. But if you, uh, first of all, pitted olives. Have you ever had pitted olives in a nichoise? Have you mm-hmm. ever had someone pit out the nichoise olives for you? No. Me neither. Do people? No. How do you, I, I wouldn't want to go. I, I feel that you would mutilate a nichoise olive by pitting it, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, pitted olives. And first of all, back in the seventies, like you'd be like, "We got the two kinds of olives. <laughs> we got the green ones black. with the pimento, and we got the black ones. Which one?" If you, once you're going to say small, you might as well just call out the olive because mm-hmm. back then it was the same amount of impossible, mm-hmm. same impossible. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, and anchovy fillets uh, seasoned with oil and vinegar. What's that recipe missing? Uh, fish. Tuna. Yeah. There's no tuna in that, right? Yeah. Also, I don't see the was a hard boiled egg in there. I don't see the hard boiled egg, oh, right. right? Which so I was like, first of all, I was like, this made me doubt everything else in this book. I was like, this book is, is a load of malarkey. Like, you need, we need to throw this book away. I need to burn it and go buy a new copy of Escoffier, right? So then where did I go next? I went to uh, Pella Pratt, which is one of my favorite uh, old school um, books. And in Pella Pratt, you got uh, string beans, potatoes, tomatoes, hard-boiled eggs, anchovy fillets, green pitted olives. Green? I don't consider nichoise green, do you? Mm-hmm. I consider them like... Yeah, kind of like grayish, yeah, kind of yeah. grayish, brownish, maybe a greenish, grayish, brownish, and vinaigrette dressing, right? Peel the potatoes, cooked in their jackets, cut them into small dice. Okay, whatever. They're not doing the nice little footballs. Do you like the footballs? Boiled footballs? Do you like the football shape? Little, uh, t- like I think at the FCI they used to do the football shape. Okay. You know, they used to turn the potatoes. Anyway, cut the beans in squares. I don't really know what that means. Cut a bean in a square. Anyway, uh, cook them in salted boiling water, uh, cool and drain, mixed vegetables. Blah 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 blah. Guess what? No freaking – oh, wait. And then it said, if like if liked, neat chunks of tunny fish preserved in oil. Yeah. So that's like – like that's like putting it as like a, a – what's it called? As, you know, a uh, – you know, maybe you can have it. Maybe, maybe you can't. I then looked in Herring's Dictionary of Classical and Modern Cookery, another old school one that has a lot of French stuff. And there as well, although they call it Nice salad. Like why would you translate the town or whatever? Um, it's like – that's like uh, – like Milanese, translating it as Milan. Yeah. Who the hell would do that? Uh, anyway, it's like uh, uh, French beans, quarters of peeled tomatoes, and fancy, fancy-shaped fancy potatoes. So they have the turned potatoes, by the way. That's what fancy-shaped potatoes means. You know what I'm talking about, the footballs? No. I like football. You do like football. You like football? Love. Well, you know, if you actually went through the FCI, like you spend the first week just turning potatoes into like little footballs and they make you go home and like like convert like 50 pounds of potatoes into little footballs. I hope they still do that because that was the whole point of going to the school was making the footballs. Uh, Garnish with anchovy fillets, olives, capers, uh, and original French dressing, whatever the hell that means, right? That's some sort of OG uh, French dressing, no tuna. And finally, I went to the source, uh, uh, La Russe Gastronomique, and uh, there... They also have no freaking tuna, but they say sprinkle with chopped chervil and tarragon, which sounds nice. Mm-hmm. I like chervil and tarragon together. Mm-hmm. So there you have it, like all these old school stuff from the 60s, like some of it closely related to the French that coming out with tuna at most a, an optional thing. So I wonder at what point Nichoise became a tuna heavy thing. Or you prefer fresh tuna, like seared, or do you prefer the canned tuna? Uh, either. I think I like the canned 
with hard-boiled eggs. I think with hard-boiled eggs, I like the canned. Yeah, that's true. With eggs, canned. And uh, do you go for that fancy, the flat stuff, the Italian stuff? Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that yeah, stuff's yeah, good. Yeah, do you spend the extra money on, like, Ventresca, or do you not, you're not that kind of a spending stuff? I don't spend? know where I'd get it. But, you know, like the one, yeah, 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 it's good stuff. But anyway, I also like it with fresh tuna, but apparently they're both bastardizations. Hmm. Yeah. Strange, huh? Weird. 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 Okay. Uh, Enough about nichoise. Let's see what else. Okay, Christopher Bass, uh, Christoph wrote in, his name's not Bass, about Bass. Uh, And I don't think we talked about this. We've been cooking uh, black bass fresh from the lake for two hours at 128 Fahrenheit, which, by the way, for you Celsius folks out there, is 53.333. It turns out more tender, delicious. uh, It turns out tender, delicious, and cooked to perfection. I did not realize that some fish benefit from longer cook times. Usually, fish doesn't hold up well to long cook times, even at lower temperatures. I would add especially at lower temperatures. Uh, Here are my questions. Uh, I'm not sure what to call this effect that happens there, uh, tenderization, or is it just not getting mushy for some reason? I mean, I think that's it. The problem is when you're cooking fish, here's the thing that, like, you know, uh, when you cook meats, you're looking to make them more tender. Fish starts out tender, and what you're looking to do is have it not go mushy and not go dry, right? So fish, there's kind of two things that can happen to it. It can stay moist but turn mushy. That stinks. Or it can uh, go dry. Oh, I hate dry fish. Stas, what do you think about, like, overcooked swordfish? Not, look, I know you're not supposed to, whatever, you're not supposed to have any more. But back when I was a kid, everything was swordfish steak this, swordfish steak mm-hmm. that. We didn't care if, like, you know, giant worms came out. I didn't, we didn't give a rat's ass. Everyone, rat's patoot, rather. Uh, we didn't care. Everyone had this swordfish. But, you know, you would douse that sucker in oil and cook the hell out of it. Just cook the hell out of it. Like sometimes like in a freaking oven. Just cook the hell. Remember how like you used to have all these recipes for fish that you would cook in an oven? You just throw mm-hmm. the fish in a freaking oven. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and just, just like stringy, blah, like, like hardcore overcooked swordfish. So many memories. And then, and then they're like, well, if we're going to overcook it, why not overcook shark? Remember when everyone used to eat shark? Like back in like the 80s, like, like shark steaks. Like overcooked freaking shark steaks, they were good because you salted the hell out of them. But they were otherwise. Do you remember the? Not, well, you, you were too young. But do you remember the nineteen eighties pork chop? I, uh, the no. thin overcooked dry pork chop. My mom did those. Did well, you? It's called them? like the new white meat, right? Yeah, it was the new. It was the new white meat, the new crap meat. Like everyone, like always, like. Overcooked swordfish, over whatever. I don't know how I got out of this, but so the point is, is that you're always in this race. When you're doing low temperature, you don't have to overcook it so that it gets uh, dry. But the problem is, it can get mushy and it can also get squeaky. So, like overcooked uh, swordfish is not only dry. Well, I don't know why I'm talking about swordfish. I, don't, I haven't had a swordfish in like years. You're not supposed to eat it anymore, right? I don't know. I didn't know that. I don't know, Jack. Is that on the uh, do, do not eat list? I mean, I'll, I'll go I, check Monterey Bay and see what they say. Yeah, I mean, I haven't eaten it in years, so I don't worry about it. I do avoid tuna when I'm out. I do uh, avoid the bluefin, though I love it. Do, does everyone avoid the bluefin now when they go out? I don't know. When you eat sushi, do you avoid the bluefin? Uh, no, I haven't, no. I mean, if someone orders it and it shows up, like, I'll eat it, but I would never order it, even though I love it. Why can't you, shouldn't you eat it? Because it's going to be extinct. I mean, they're oh. they're ruining. It's ruined. Like you know, it's 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 you know. But the whole like the, all the fish are going to get the the Japanese. What the, the Kindai people? No, the um the the radiation anyway. So you know, <laughs> Stas just saying might as well eat it now yeah. because I think that's going a little bit overboard. I mean, like hopefully we'll get some sort of Godzilla tuna that will uh, you know come on land and eat us all, <laughs> breathe fire, some sort of giant Godzilla tuna. It's kind of like 
weird, isn't it? I hadn't thought about it that the monster films like are predicated on like this excess radiation. I didn't know like that. after, yeah, well, it's all like these things come out of Japan, you know, after you know we dropped the atomic bomb and they're kind of obsessed with radi- radiation. Godzilla is a product of radiation, and so you know now they have actual other kind of sources of radiation over there. I wonder whether it's going to spur some sort of. You know, Gamera of the sea. Mm-hmm. Hey, like- swordfish is okay, by the way, unless you're getting long line caught imported swordfish. You don't want that. Yeah, or unless you overcook it. You definitely don't definitely want that. Definitely don't want that. Definitely, definitely don't want that. Anyway, so back to Kristoff and his bass. This is a, this is a, a lake fish. So I don't even know what, what the heck we're talking about. All these. Anyway, so, uh, or is it just uh, not getting mushy for some reason? So, a lot, like, look, uh, I don't have a lot of experience with, uh, with uh, freshwater fish uh, sous vide. Uh, with the exception of trout. Uh, but, you know, I, I know that certain fish get really crappy when they're cooked for a long time and certain don't. And, uh, you know, you referenced um, – I think you referenced the blog post where I did the uh, stripers. And stripers can stand for a long time. I think it's maybe because they're relatively firm so they don't go mushy on you. Like they, they are relatively firm fish, which is why I think when they're overcooked, they're like – even stripers when they're – do you like – you like stripers, right, Stas? Mm-hmm. But when they're overcooked, they're a little hard, right? Yeah. That's why I think like it can stand up to it. It's got a little more structure to it because it's a strong freaking fish. You know what I mean? Uh, anyway, so – and I tried to look up for you because there's two things that go wrong. One, there's connective tissue that gets broken down over cooking, right? And two, there are uh, enzymes in, uh, in fish that uh, break down the flesh, which is why some things like shellfish, for instance, goes super mushy when you cook at low temperature. So those are the two things that you're – uh, that you're you're looking at, but I wasn't able to find any actual um, any listing of fish. What you're looking for is uh, the, the the two proteases that are in it are uh, cathepsins, uh, which I can't pronounce, and calpanes. I can't pronounce it, but like uh, these are what's breaking down um, the fish. And I couldn't find any listing of which ones have more enzymes in them and, and which ones don't. I think McGee might have just a ready reference of which ones get mushier in on food and cooking. I should have looked there, but stupidly, uh, I did not. Anyway, um, so that's uh, so that's that, that's it. What do you think? Anything, right? It's hard to know. You just have to know. So if you know that that the black bass is uh, can take a long time without going mushy, then that's good to know. Just watch out for squeakiness. Man, I hate squeakiness. Um, okay, now. Uh, also, by the way, I was while I was researching that question, I found an interesting uh, article that you guys might be interested in um, called – see if I was stupid enough to – I was too stupid to write it down. But it's uh, – there's a, a table I found called Slaughter Conditions on the Glyco- uh, Glycogen Concentration Three Minutes uh, Postmortem in Chicken Breast Muscle, which is a fantastic-looking article because they anesthetize they, – they did anesthetizing of the chicken, stunning of the chicken, a struggling chicken. And it's adapted from an article I wasn't able to find by a person named Defremery in 1966. But it's the only reference I have to anesthetize slaughtering practices in a chicken. So if anyone can find that article and send it to me, I'd be, I'd be super happy. I think I found that in uh, – and maybe I found that in the biochemistry of foods, which is uh, the Shahidi's 2013 version. I can't anyway. believe you didn't explain Hustino. It was just like, and I came up with the name. Stas is reading the book Liquid Intelligence. Here's why. So the, the technique is called Hustino. It's where we blend 
uh, you know, we blend a product like most often like a fruit or sometimes a dried fruit, sometimes vegetable. Nick Bennett does mushrooms into a liquor with uh, Pectin X Ultra SPL. We spin it in a centrifuge. It goes clear again and you get these like awesome liquors. So we call them Hustino. And I originally in the book wrote the whole story about how fabulous oh. and we were running around screaming Hustino at the top of our lungs, which is actually just a bastardization of a chef we knew named Justin. And so we just used to walk around the kitchen going, Hustino, like this, like running around. And this reporter calls and asks for, because we're stupid. And this reporter comes and says, what's the name of this drink, this banana drink that you did, you know, because we need to write about it. And we were like, banana, 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 Hustino. Hustino. And then like they printed it. And then that was it. It was called Hustino, and it was too late to go back. But then when I wrote this story, Jen's like, this is the dumbest freaking story in the world. This is so freaking stupid. Like, you can't put this in the book because, A, it, like, there's no context to it. Like, the rest of the book isn't about you running around like an idiot. It's about you running around, like, trying to figure out how to make things better. And it's just it's coming out of, out of nowhere. And so it's better just to be like, called Hustino. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why it's called Ustino. I see. Okay. See? Yeah. All right. Fair? I guess. Fair. Uh, okay. Uh, we already did the uh, – Do we did the Hashi food truck one, right, with the sausage. Did we do it briefly last week? Hashi food truck wrote in and said, remember an issue where you covered brats or sausages uh, immersion with beer? Can you share tips again? We did that one, right? I wasn't here last week, Jack. I think we did that. Wait, you keep saying you're not here this week. <laughs> well, How am I supposed I remember to remember that? Smoke. How am I supposed to remember that from one from one second to the next? Oh, yeah. You were, wait, were you hacking up lungs last week yeah. or something? Mm-hmm. You're like, you like hacking your lungs up all over the floor? Mm-hmm. Nice. That stuff's going around. Sam wrote in. This one I know I haven't gotten to. Can you discuss the merits of an autolyze step uh, in bread making? I find it much easier to mix the salt in with the flour initially. Uh, rather than mixing into the dough after an autolyze step. Thanks, Sam. Okay, so autolyze or autolyze or however you pronounce autolyze. Right? Is, that, is it French? Anyway, lice meaning breaking up. And so the, the original, this comes from uh, a, a dude, dead dude, by the way, died in 2005, named uh, Raymond Calvell, uh, who was kind of one of the best known kind of teachers and authors uh, of, about bread. In his era, I mean, like everyone kind of read, uh, you know, his book, um, and uh, I think, according to the, my reference, he was a professor of baking. That's pretty sweet, professor of baking. I kind of want to be a, well, not really, but I mean, it's a good title. Would you take that title? Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't even. Do you like to bake? No, I hate it. But you still <clears throat> would take it, yeah, right? Take professor it. of baking. Yeah. You could be like on the on the anti side. You could be like you could be like that uh, divinity professor that's an atheist. Yeah, she'd be radical professor of yeah. baking. Yeah, right, right. Like she'd be the one that everyone kind of moved away from at the at the at the baking professor conferences. <laughs> uh, anyways, yeah, you know that person. You've seen them. It's Stas. Um, so anyway, he taught uh, Julia Child and Simone Beck. So there's a good pedigree, right? Anyway, dude came up with this idea of an autolyze step. And so what he thought was happening – so, oh, what is it? What are we talking about? Okay. So uh, you mix together uh, like the water and the yeast and the flour, not the salt, and you do an initial mix, right? And you let it sit around before you knead it, right? So you don't knead it right away, right, with a K, knead with a K. Uh, and uh, so what he thought was happening there was that um, – and I forget. Maybe it's done as a higher hydration. I can't. I can't remember whether it's done as a higher hydration because I actually. Uh, let me see. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll look at it anyway. So uh, 
what you're, he thinks is happening is that amylase enzymes in the uh, starch are breaking uh, – in the uh, flour are breaking down some of the starch into sugars for food for the yeast, right? I think that's why it's called auto-lease. The thing is like performing – like uh, lice means to break apart, right? So things are being broken down in it on its own and then you knead it and then you let it go. But – uh, I mean, I, I think that's the the origin of the term, but I don't think anybody really um, does that anymore, right? I don't think that's the reason why people do uh, that rest anymore. So it should probably come up with a different name. I think what's happening, what most people say they're doing when they do it, is they let it rest. And by the way, the reason you don't put the salt in and you let it rest without the salt is you're giving the yeast and the other stuff a chance to get started in a zero salt environment because the salt is a yeast inhibitor, right? Now remember, this autolyse step is not being done on breads typically that are you know, like a lot of people now when they're doing their breads, especially like higher hydration stuff, are doing some some version of less or no need Leahy style, like with uh although remember Cesare said that's my style. Remember yes, that? Yes. Yeah. Anyway, uh no you know, no need or, or less need super long fermented breads. And for those, I mean I think it's probably ideal to put the salt in at the beginning because you're trying to prevent the yeast from working right away. Anywho. Whatever. So you uh, are doing it without the salt, and these things are happening, and then, uh, and then you go. But the, the advantages, I think, are really beyond uh, any sort of enzymatic action that's happening there. The advantages are um, you have a period of hydration that's taking place without uh, kneading. Right. There's also some jump starting of the yeast, but even if you were to add the salt and let it rest, right, what what you're getting there is a period of hydration. And you know, a lot of studies are that the gluten formation is really a function just of hydration, which is why you if you're letting the dough sit for a long, long time, you like 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 many, many, many hours, you don't need to knead it or you need much less kneading because the gluten will in fact form without all of that beating about, right, just by sitting around, especially if the hydration's high enough. So this step is allowing you to get some hydration into it so that you don't need to do as much kneading and the and the benefit of not having to do as much kneading is things like less oxidation and other things. So I think that's the reason people uh, do it uh, now. But I wish we had talked about it um, you know, like a month and a half ago when the question came in and when I was more freshly uh, thinking about uh, what's going on. But anyway, that's my feeling on it. Um, you want to take a can we take a super quick break or are we totally shafted? We're totally shafted, aren't we? We can take a super quick let's break. Do, let's do a super quick break. Let's see if I can do that real quick, quick here. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast regional forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. All right. So here's, the, here, here's probably the last one we're going to have time for, right? Uh, we're going to have to do another freaking catch-up. Like whether or not we do it at Star Chefs, we're going to have to do – I can give you till 1 p.m. on the dot, and then the buzzer goes off. <clears throat> like yeah. that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay. Yep. Uh, Josh Swanson wrote in, at Cooking Issues, could you please give a basic intro into uh, vacuum bag fermentation pickling safety on this week's show? Uh, carbonated – and then – 
uh, hashtag mm, carbonated kimchi. So um, good question. So the, the question – look, whenever you're doing something like sauerkraut or kimchi, right, you're automatically in an anaerobic fermentation situation, right? So from a safety standpoint – you shouldn't be any different whether or not that anaerobic uh, fermentation is happening uh, in uh, the bottom of your pickle jar or your sauerkraut jar or whatever your you know your kimchi jar or whether or not it's uh, happening inside of a vacuum bag. So things like uh, you know the, most of the spore forming uh, bacteria they're going to grow. Uh, you know, in a, in a in a bad kind of a fermentation uh, situation, um, are going to like they they're not going to compete so well if you have a whole bunch of lactic acid bacteria growing in there at the same time because the pH is going to drop and the um, and the salt level is going to uh, you're adding salt typically. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily do it with super low salt uh, just because. I don't know. I'm not not that comfortable with it. But um, so you're you're putting salt in, and then uh, you're you're the lactic acid bacteria are making a lower pH, and this is what's preventing the nasty stuff from growing in there. So the first thing to kind of realize is that there's fundamentally not that much of a difference between doing it the old school way and doing it in a vacuum bag. Now, when you're doing um, – one of the disadvantages of doing it the old school way is that most people – let's say you're salting cabbage. When you're salting cabbage, uh, a lot of people add water because they don't have enough water from the cabbage itself to you know, make a nice kraut or whatever. Um, now, I know – I was talking to Lucas actually, you know, listener uh, who uh, – a friend of ours, and he like beats the crap out of the cabbage with the salt. So that it starts leaking enough liquid, so that it can immerse itself in liquid right away, so it doesn't have to worry about it. But you know, or like I know, like if you're making kimchi, you're rubbing the salt in and letting it sit for a while. It kind of pre-weeps, and you have enough liquid to repack into it. So that's one way to to get around it. But literally, you just throw the stuff in vacuum bags and you suck a vacuum on it, and shaboom! First of all, you've injected uh, the liquid and the salt. Into the uh, into the product, which obviates the need to beat the crap out of it because you've, you're crushing some of the, you know, you're getting the stuff into the into the pores anyway as it is. And uh, the other cool thing is is that they're super neat little tidy packages, right? You don't need to have that giant crock that you push down. You don't have to worry about the giant crock that you push down. Uh, and it's just really clean and neat. The problem with um, the vacuum bags when you're doing it is that um, they blow up. I mean, and they can explode. So what I always do is I bag in one, I throw it in uh, to uh, another bag, and I lightly bag that one. I don't like bother, uh, you know, sucking a huge vacuum on it. And so that way, and it's a larger bag. That way, if the bo- if the smaller bag on the uh, uh, in the inside inflates to the point where it blows up, it just blows up into your bag, not into you know another thing. Now this this is conducive to. Um, 
if you need to do a bunch of portions and have them, uh, or, you know, like you want to have like, you know, like a quart at a time that coming out, not as conducive if you're doing like 55 gallon barrels, because there it's much more efficient to just beat the stuff down, put it in a giant 55 gallon barrel and let it rock and roll. Even like a gallon, I would say just do it in a normal way. But if you're doing like a, you know, a head of cabbage or two, I would say a uh, vacuum bag is uh, a really, really uh, good way to go and totally safe. And uh, I've uh, done it many, many times. Now, it will not allow the CO2 to escape as much, so it will get lightly carbonated. And we spoke to Alex Naki from Ideas and Food. They detest it. I love it. Do you like a little carbonation in your, uh, in your, in your pickles? Or in, sure, yeah. in your, or in your uh, kimchi? Do you like kimchi? No, I don't choose to eat it. What about sauerkraut? Really? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, like I like Jack. It. Jack's like, really? Come on. Kimchi? I see a pizza with salad on top. Do you not like kimchi because everyone loves it? Or no, do you actually just, just not like it? I don't choose to eat it. I don't mind kimchi. I just never order it. Yeah? Hmm. Hmm. All right. So uh, I had something. We had something else that we were doing like right now that I needed to talk that we needed to talk we on want air about. To apologize. To That's it. To so, some people. Uh, okay. So listen. Are, are they almost all done? How many? Yeah, we have uh, three that are shipping. Searsalls. Okay, we're talking about the Searsalls on the way out. So first of all, uh, you know, we would like to apologize for how long it took us to get this, this stuff out in general, uh, and. Like Stas and I, they're talking about the Searsall, uh, which have shipped. Uh, I frankly am shocked at. at I, I am like so shocked. Like I am beyond shocked and angered at at Amazon. How long it took them to fulfill the orders? How long they had those Searsalls in their warehouse and shipping it out? And what's really depressing is that no one believes us. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're like, it's Amazon. They ship it the next day, and then. Remember, like, so, like, we sent them the stuff. We, they, we had some errors in our uh, in our addresses, so we gave them an updated address list for. And then they, Amazon decided last week to then start suddenly start selling them live, live, before all of our Kickstarter and Shopstarter people had gotten their orders in. And then Stas like calls me, like while I'm working on something, I freaks out, and we like losing our minds. And then when we tell people this is a mistake. There's people who don't believe us. Like, why would we want to? Why would we want to not fulfill the thing? And anyway, so, so Stas very quickly called Amazon, had it pulled, had all of those orders uh, canceled. The good news is, as, as many as she could, some had already been shipped out, but not a lot. Uh, the good news is, is that all but you said three. Yeah, three. All but three. Do we have the names of the people? Um, or do you not want to read them out? I don't really want to read them out. Uh, we don't want to read them out. <laughs> all but three of you have gotten uh, your Sears All notification. Most of you have it in the mail already. We've been checking. Oh, yeah, so, and the internationals, you know, obviously are going to take longer because of customs, so... Right, but they've all been shipped. They've all been the shipped. internationals were shipped long ago. Yeah, but it's going to... Yeah, it has to go through customs. Every, but every, everything but these last three Sears Alls, these three lonely Sears Alls, have been shipped out. So we're super excited. Uh, we're going to have the steak decorator coming uh, in soon, I hope, the proto that we're going to approve. And, and if you get haven't the, gotten yours or any confirmation email searsall at bookerindex.com yeah if you have if you have not gotten an email saying you're going to receive your searsall yeah. like we think you have that's so, not like that, like zero email at all zero from anything ups usps amazon whatever, whatever. Right? yeah whatever. if you have heard nothing email that address yeah but i'm also super happy that uh people seem to be enjoying it that have it so i'm very gratified uh i love all the twitter stuff that you guys are sending with the uh with the searsalls coming in one thing i will say on the way out people are like 
There's some flame coming out of the front. Is this normal? Hell yeah, right? Yes. Oh yeah. Doesn't sear some. Sears all. Cooking issues. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.